best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Yes, in fact, May is here. It is May in Indianapolis. It is the best time of the year. It is the best month in the best city for the best sport in this, the Circle City, for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race as we get set for it and we are so thrilled once again to have you with us for beyond the bricks good evening to you my name is jake query and unlike the last time that we spoke to you in this capacity i can now officially say uh, i am a member of the family here at 107.5 the fan doing the kevin and query program from seven until ten in the morning it is a great honor to do that and i have been looking so forward to the month of May, not just because of everything that goes into the great civic celebration of the greatest spectacle in racing, but also because it gives me an opportunity to once again work with a gentleman who is as knowledgeable as anybody that you will find when it comes to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Of course, Donald Davidson is the historian emeritus for IMS, but Mike Thompson worked alongside him for a very long time. He has an incredible audio library that we share with you on this program. And he once again joins us for this month of looking back at the stories beyond just the bricks themselves at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Mike, first off, good evening to you. And man, I know like me, uh, you and I sat around all winter long on our hands going, we're going to do it again, right? We're going to do it again. And here we are. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this all winter. I, I keep counting the days saying uh, it's, it's got to be getting close and so um, i've been very excited about that and and thrilled that we uh, get to pair up and do this again and and excited for you uh that you're you're a full-time member of the ms family now i love that for you that you got to do that and working with my buddy mark in the morning and things like that but i'm i'm very very happy for you that you're uh, you're a full-time member of the ms family and and getting to do this show with you again is a lot of fun for me uh, i appreciate it very much mike and for those that are unfamiliar or have not listened to this program we began this a year ago as a way to kind of just take a look back at because the thing i think mike about the indianapolis motor speedway and the indianapolis 500 that makes it so special makes it so unique you know, really the only American sporting event that one could look towards in terms of the history that goes back would be probably the Kentucky Derby. I mean, obviously the World Series, you know, there are many, right? The World Series, but that's not in the same venue every year. The Kentucky Derby would be one. It's difficult to interview Secretariat about his memories, right? And so the Indianapolis 500 is so special, and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is so special because it holds – so many memories, not just from a racing standpoint, Mike, but for so many people that, if they're like me, walking into the speedway, seeing the flags when you approach from any direction on race day, to me it awakens the memory, the legacy, and the life, quite frankly, of my relative's past my great uncle Walt, my great aunt Dottie, Nana and Honey, my grandparents, you know, and the memories of going with my father to the track itself. And that does not make me unique. Everybody has that personal connection to that facility, which is what makes it so special. And I think, Mike, I speak for you in saying 
it's why it's an incredible honor and privilege for us in any small way that we can to make alive that nostalgia for others over this oh so special month oh i agree 100 percent. and and what you're saying we all have that story we all have those people in our lives that that got us involved in loving the indianapolis motor speedway and loving the 500 and and it's a special year for me this year because this year is going to be my 40th anniversary of of getting to come to the to the indianapolis motor speedway for the first time so you know, th- this year on May 15th, I'm going to be thinking of the fact that my Uncle Ron, you know, my late Uncle Ron, he's, he's unfortunately, he's passed on a couple years ago. But but he he really got me into loving the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and loving the 500. And, and he was he was a little strict in the fact he said, you can't you can't come to the 500 or, or you can't come to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for time trials with me until you're 12 years old. And I had a little calendar on my desk that counted the days till may 1982 and so this year um i'm going to be thinking of my uncle ron on may 15th because that was the day that uh you know he drove us down and in the carpool and caravan from toledo to indianapolis for the first time so you're right we all have those people that that we think about who who led us to this and and those memories are so special and and i think that's what's great about this show that you and i are doing that we you know we get to bring those stories and 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 keep that nostalgia alive and and also you know as we talked about a lot last year on this show you know take what donald did for so many years that meant so much to so many people and i just talked to donald um you know over the last couple days again and i i was just talking to him again about how much he means to so many people and how he enhanced the enjoyment of the indianapolis 500 for so many people and how he's loved by so many people for what he did for so many people. And, and if in some way you and I are, are picking up, you know, continuing to pick up that torch like we did last year for Donald and, uh, you know, bringing that nostalgia home, uh, you know, I feel like we're doing something really good. If, if we can even do a, a small piece of what Donald has done, which is, I think, you know, incredible what Donald did for so long, you know, which is really bring the enthusiasm donald's enthusiasm for the 500 was so infectious and you know bringing all that nostalgia home i i mean if we can do a small part of that i think we're doing a good thing we will certainly honor and i'm hopeful and matter of fact i'm very sure of the fact that we will hear from donald davidson on this program over the course of the next month donald davidson of course was introduced to race fans in indianapolis and around the world by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, which was started by Sid Collins, who worked at WIBC Radio here in Indianapolis. His name needs no explanation when it comes to talking about the history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But for those that are unfamiliar, Sid Collins began the IMS Radio Network, the Speedway Radio Network, as it was known at the time, back in 1952. And, Mike, this was somebody who had seen Sid Collins you know, and heard is a better way of saying it, live reporting from the race in the years leading up to 1952, but then decided that it was time to do a live broadcast. And in doing so, in the early years we're talking about, doing that with the IMS radio network really, I think, changed the complexion and the national fame and landscape of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Oh, I agree 100%. It was a game changer. Um, Sid was a part of the mutual broadcasting system broadcasts that were 
at the time uh, they were doing the start of the race, the finish of the race, and then they would do periodic updates throughout the race. And Sid was on that broadcast. Um, he was on, uh, you know, the broadcast at the beginning. Uh, he, he would do, he was in the, he was at the, t- the South turn. They would say, Oh, here's Sid Collins. He's in the South turn. And, and he would do, you know, he would broadcast with Bill Slater. Bill Slater was the main anchor of those broadcasts. And then at, at one point, um, Bill Slater became ill and Bill Slater was actually not going to be able to be there for one year. And, and Sid was supposed to be the main anchor. And then at the last minute, Bill Slater showed up sort of unannounced, surprising everybody. And Sid was a little crestfallen by that because he thought he was going to be the main anchor for mutual. And Bill Slater kind of took him under his wing and said, well, why don't we do it together? And so they went to the booth and they, they actually did the, the 500 together. And that actually was Sid's first uh, experience as the voice. Him and Bill Slater were the voice together. But you're right. Uh, when Mutual ended up dropping out, and um, one of the things I'm working on for for here in the month of May is on WIBC, we're celebrating this the uh, the 70th anniversary of the of the radio network. And so one of the things that we're doing is is talking about how Sid got together with Wilbur Shaw and and the fact that they uh, you know were they put together the radio network in, in, in a very short order and, and changed everything. So in 1952, Sid Collins decided that instead of just doing the you know five-minute increment updates, if you will, for what was happening at 16th and Georgetown in Indianapolis, Indiana, that they would do a live coverage event. He sent letters to multiple radio stations asking if they would like to participate. 26 of them in the early years said, yes, we will do that in 1952, and thus a new era that we will look back on today began. But 45 years ago today, there was another watershed moment, and we'll begin with this. This is the open to the 61st Indianapolis 500-mile race in May of 1977. This is what the intro sounded like on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network. Sid Collins, the voice of the 500 for almost 30 years, is not here with us today. But I'm sure in spirit he is cheering for all this broadcast crew. He was that type of man. He was a perfectionist. If he accepted a job to do, the job was well done. May 2nd, Sid Collins passed away. He had contracted ALS, the Lou Gehrig disease. We'll miss Sid Collins. He was our friend, but he was a friend of yours too. Sid was a man of great ability, articulate, and a gentleman through and through. But Sid Collins knew that no man is indispensable and will be cheering all of us on to do a good job like he always wanted us to do. And now here is Sid's good friend, race driver, broadcaster, and a well-qualified man in our new voice of the 500, Paul Page. Thank you very much, Jim Shelton, and greetings from Indianapolis. This broadcast crew deeply feels the loss of our leader, Sid Collins, and we are here today going to perform in the way that he would have wanted us to, the way that he taught all of us for many, many years. We hope that you will join with us in dedicating this 61st running of the 500-mile race to Sid Collins. That was how it began in the 1977 race, and as you heard John Royer, who was the first man speaking there, the late John Royer, who later went on to become the 
affiliate relations director, held different capacities within the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, speaking about Sid Collins to open the race. But it was 45 years ago today when Sid Collins was lost. Sid Collins was born actually with the name Sidney Kahn Jr. in Indianapolis, Indiana on July 17th of 1922 and in that with that name mike came and as a matter of fact i might have spoken out of school there i assume he was born in indianapolis but he was born into a jewish family and at that time of course in the era of getting into broadcasting coming off of without getting stating the obvious here but the tensions of world war ii and it is tragic to say in hindsight that Sid Collins would have to change his last name away from his heritage, a heritage in which I'm sure he was very proud and rightly so, but he went with the name Sid Collins just to make sure um, that there was not confusion, I guess, over the fact that he was Jewish. He is entombed in a Jewish cemetery here in Indianapolis, but it was 45 years ago today when he was lost. And Mike, I think one of the things before we listen to his last words on the IMS radio network, one of the things that was of shock to so many people, aside from the obvious upon the tragic loss of Sid Collins, for many of them, Mike, I can only assume because his ALS diagnosis had not been a long journey, probably many didn't realize of Sid's illness when they learned of his passing. Oh yeah. I, I agree hundred percent with that. I mean, you have to remember when Sid passed away, he was 54 years old. And so um, when Paul Page took over, uh, Paul was, you know, the handpicked successor, but Paul didn't think he was going to have take over for Sid Collins for another 20 years because Sid was, he was only 54. So, um, you know, what a shock. You have to think at that time too, there were probably a lot of people who tuned in maybe, for the 500 and that's the only race maybe they listen to each year and that's how they were they were greeted with the news that Sid Collins had passed away maybe they hadn't heard that news so that must have been a, a big shock to some folks that uh, the voice of the 500 that they had been listening to for for decades was was gone and so that must have been a you know quite a shock to a lot of people especially the fact that you know Sid was such a young man at the time of course with anything in life when you look back retrospectively on things sometimes there's an incredible irony sometimes quite frankly it can be haunting uh Sid Collins at the end of the 1976 Indianapolis 500 mile race probably was unaware of the fact that he was signing off for the final time from the IMS radio network in terms of signing off after the greatest spectacle in racing but this is how it sounded at the end of the broadcast in 1976 but another icy Indiana winter will come and go, and before we know it, springtime returns, it will be May, and the roar of engines will once again breathe life into the lazy Hoosier sky and bring us back together. And God willing, I'll be here to greet you for this annual reunion through our mutual love of auto racing and the Indianapolis 500. So until next May, this is Sid Collins, the voice of the 500, wishing you good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where in the world you are right now. We're here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at the crossroads of America. Goodbye. And, of course, Mike, no one knew at that time that that goodbye for many people was forever. Perhaps until 
this day when we talk about Sid Collins, unfortunately on the day of his passing. But I don't think that this show and what we're going to do over the course of the next hour is one to tragically or with sorrow look back on Sid Collins, but rather to celebrate somebody who was as much as anybody who got inside of a race car responsible for the celebration of the event that the Indianapolis 500 is. Absolutely. One of the things I love about that clip is the fact that um, he he says goodbye and it's poignant to me because, you know, I don't think he knew that it was goodbye, but, it, but he said goodbye to his audience. Um, but I think you're right in celebrating Sid. I think one of the things that we did a show a few years ago on WIBC about the most influential people in, in Speedway history who were not drivers in the race. And Sid was near the top of the list because of the incredible influence he had as the voice of the 500 and, and how he reached all corners of the globe. And, and he was so proud to say on the broadcast, if you listen to his old broadcast, he, he very proudly at a number of different times says, you know, in, in every country where English is spoken, you know, we can be heard. And he was so proud of that, that he was helping to, you know, take this event that was happening in his hometown. You know, he, he went to short Ridge and, and he was from Indianapolis and he was so proud of, of, of Indianapolis and, and so proud to put on this, this important civic event that was going on and share that with all corners of the globe. And you could, you, you could just tell that. And it just came through in all of his broadcasts on, on the Speedway radio network. And so, you know, I think it's, I think it's really important to celebrate the legacy of Sid, who, in addition to Sid, you know, he, he helped give us Donald, you know, because Donald wrote to Sid and, and, and Sid was so instrumental and helping Donald get his career started and, and Sid helped give us Paul page and, and, and Paul page, you know, helped give us Bob Jenkins. So, I mean, there's such a important legacy and, and lineage and, and all these things that, that have, that have occurred because of, you know, how great Sid was. So I agree. I think it's, I think it's important. Yes. We're doing this on the anniversary of Sid's passing for a reason, but we're also celebrating Sid for, all the incredible things he did for the Indianapolis 500 and for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And one of those things, as you had mentioned, Mike, um, again, my name is Jake Quarry. That is the voice of Mike Thompson. This is Beyond the Bricks on 107.5 and 93.5. The Fan in Indianapolis, thanks for listening to us tonight as we will be doing each night here at this same time on this same radio station talking about the stories beyond the bricks themselves at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And one of those gifts that Sid Collins brought to the race fans was, as you had just mentioned, Mike, Donald Davidson. Donald grew up in England. Donald fell in love with the Speedway by way of the reports about what was going on in this almost urban legend type feel of the speed of the cars and people coming from all around the world to win, uh, as Bobby Unser once said, the biggest race in the world. And so here is Donald, a young man from England, who comes over to the United States, gets himself a day pass to go to the Speedway during practice and meets Sid Collins, who, like all of us, was immediately captivated and fascinated by the incredible mind of Donald Davidson. And so he puts Donald Davidson on a broadcast, invites him back, and Donald Davidson becomes a regular contributor to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network before then going on and, of course, being a part of that network for longer than anybody 
uh, has done so, and rightly so. But Donald was more than that to Sid Collins. Donald Davidson for Sid Collins was more than just the incredible encyclopedic knowledge that he is, but he was a confidant. And so Donald knew of the challenges that Sid had from a health standpoint after his diagnosis at the Mayo Clinic with ALS after he had not been feeling well. And Donald, of course, was one of the first to find out 45 years ago today that the world had lost Sid Collins. Donald Davidson's memory of that news. I remember specifically, I got a call. Uh, It was the day before the track opened, May the 2nd. Uh, And I got a call from Jed Duval. And uh, he said uh, at at WIBC, and it probably was about 10.30 or something like that. And he said, I guess you heard about Sid. And I said, no, what about Sid? And he said, well, he died this morning. And um, I, w- I, w- I don't know that I was surprised because uh, he, we, we knew he was very despondent over his condition and what his future might be. And uh, some of us had spent time with him and uh, I had just a few days before that, and he was pretty distraught, but you thought that he would pull through it. You know, you can hear Mike, and, and you know, obviously Donald is still with us, so I don't, it's not my intention to speak for Donald Davidson, but you could hear there that, you know, even years later, um, there is still both the reality and yet the sadness within Donald Davidson and for all, I would assume, at that time of that news. Yeah, and what's interesting about that particular clip is um, I called Donald a couple days ago to make sure I could still use that clip um, because of there's some anguish, obviously, in that in his voice. And I, I wanted to make sure I said, you know, are you are you OK if I, I use this when we celebrate Sid? And, you know. He said, yeah, yeah, it's okay um, in the way that, you know, Donald, you know, called when we talked to him and, and he, he said it was okay, but, but it's, it's obviously to this day, obviously still a painful memory um, for Donald, but I, he wanted to remember Sid and he, you know, one of the things that when I worked with Donald, he had a, on his desk. Um, and one of the things he and I bonded over, and I actually got a lump in my throat thinking about this, is just as you and I were talking about it. When I worked at WIBC, I had a picture of Sid on my desk, and Sid is standing, you know, you know, very regal in his in a suit, and he's standing in front of a microphone that says WIBC, and I had that on my desk every day when I worked at WIBC because I was so proud that I worked at WIBC because that's where one of my heroes, Sid Collins, worked. And when I went to work with Donald, um, Donald on his desk, I didn't know this at the time, but Donald had a picture of Sid Collins on his desk. And I didn't know that. I just It just was coincidence. And and I talked to him about it, and and he right. He, he just told me how much Sid meant to him. And we, we, we used to, he used to tell me stories about that. 
And one of the things that really struck me, Jake, about what you were talking about, about Donald's relationship with Sid is, is the kindness that Sid showed Donald and about how important it is to be kind. Because, you know, Donald wrote Sid a letter from England basically saying, hi, I know a lot about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the 500, and I'd like to, to show you what I can do. And Sid, you know, Sid is Sid Collins. He's the voice of the 500. He's being heard in every country around the world. He could have he could have thrown that in the trash, right, Jake? I mean, he he didn't have to respond to that. He didn't have to say, hey, I'd like you to come over. And if you ever come over, Donald, I'd love to meet you and I'd love to I'd love to put you on the radio network. But that's what he did, because that's the kind of person Sid Collins was. And not only did he do that when Donald actually did come over. Sid went out of his way to take him around and introduce him to team members and drivers and and take him with him on talks and and show him basically the red carpet and made Donald, you know, it feel so incredibly special. And it just makes me feel just thinking about how kind he was. And it fast forwards for me because when I met Donald, that's how Donald treated me. Donald didn't have to look at me as anything you know, he didn't have to look at me as any kind of important person. But from the time I've known Donald, and when I met him for the first time in 2008, he's treated me the exact same way Sid Collins treated him. And so it's been so important to me um, just thinking about that relationship. And I'm not trying to compare myself to Donald Davidson. I, I hope nobody ever thinks that because there's one Donald Davidson and there's one Sid Collins. But but all I'm saying is if you if you think about it, just just that's just the way Sid Collins treated Donald. So that's the way Donald treats me. And it's just that's just the kind of people that these these folks are. The classic example of paying it forward in the case of Donald Davidson, when we pay it forward, we move forward in taking a look at Sid Collins in terms of what made him so great and celebrating the greatness that was Sid with some really fun audio, some good audio from him doing broadcasting itself and the words from some of those who not only knew him best but also followed his footsteps all that when we continue here on beyond the bricks you're listening to it on 93.5 107.5 the fan fans now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing planning a luncheon or buffet well then try stark and wetzel smorgasbord the full pound package containing four of your favorite stark and wetzel sliced luncheon meats this famous trophy loaf, made of extra lean chopped ham, tempting pickle and pimento loaf, rich and smooth texture, colorful olive loaf with those green olive slices and pimento centers, and wonderful old-fashioned loaf with that real home-style seasoning. Yes, you get four flavorful luncheon meats, perfect for picnic convenience, for quick lunches, and for party snacks. Made only of tender, lean, U.S. government-inspected meat and flavors sealed in a vacuum package. Their superb freshness and flavor is guaranteed. So look for Stark & Wetzel Smorgasbord at your store. Get four delicious kinds of Stark & Wetzel sliced luncheon meats in one convenient pound package. Remember, in Smorgasbord, in any meat, you get the best of it when you get Stark & Wetzel. Jay Query along with Mike Thompson. We both just enjoyed a trophy loaf sandwich during the break. This is Beyond the Bricks. Talking about Sid Collins, who you just heard doing that spot from the mid-50s in the Indianapolis 500-mile race broadcast. Of course, 
It was just under a decade after that when Sid Collins, in perhaps the greatest tragedy that he was a part of, and he was a part of many, Bill Vukovic comes to mind, not to say that any one fatal accident was more tragic than another, but perhaps, and I think probably for any broadcaster, there is a dichotomy of emotion when many people say that your finest hour was in the difficulty of announcing the darkest. And that took place for Sid Collins in 1964. He had previously, of course, been a part of the fatal accident of Bill Vukovic in the Indianapolis 500-mile race. But in 1964, Eddie Sachs, the clown prince, who was one of the more popular drivers in the circuit, and Dave McDonald, a young driver, were involved in a fatal accident at the outset of the race. Sid Collins then had the difficult task of announcing the fatal injury for Eddie Sachs, but also in a masterful job letting fans know exactly what it was in terms of Eddie Sachs and the moment. Here's how it sounded in the 1964 Indianapolis 500 from the IMS Radio Network and Sid Collins. And now here's an announcement of the public address system. Can we pick this up? It is with deepest regret that we make this announcement. Driver Eddie Sachs was fatally injured in the accident on the main straightaway. You heard the announcement from the public address system. There's not a sound. Men are taking off their hats. People are weeping. Over 300,000 fans here are not moving, uh, disbelieving. Some men try to conquer life in a number of ways. These days of our outer space attempts, some men try to conquer the universe. Race drivers are courageous men who try to conquer life and death, and they calculate their risks. And in our talking with them over the years, um, I think we know their inner thoughts in regard to racing. They take it as a part of living. No one is, is moving uh, on the racetrack. They're standing silently. A race driver who leaves this earth uh, mentally when he straps himself into the cockpit to try for what to him is the biggest conquest he can make is aware of the odds and Eddie Sachs played the odds he was serious and frivolous he was fun he was a wonderful gentleman he took much needling and gave much needling and just as the astronauts do perhaps um, these boys on the race track ask no quarter and they give none if they succeed, they're a hero, and if they fail, they tried. And it was Eddie's desire, I'm sure, and will, to try with everything he had, which he always did. So the only healthy way, perhaps, we can approach the tragedy of the loss of a friend like Eddie Sachs is to know that he would have wanted us to face it, as he did, as it has happened, not as we wish it would have happened. It is God's will, I'm sure, and we must accept that. We're all speeding toward death at the rate of 60 minutes every hour. The only difference is that we don't know uh, how to speed faster, and Eddie Sachs did. And so since death has a thousand or more doors, Eddie Sachs exits this earth in a race car. Knowing Eddie, I assume that's the way he would have wanted it. Sid Collins in 1964, there has long been 
speculation, perhaps conjecture, that in his ultimate preparation, Sid Collins had prepared some of those comments in the event coming off of the Bill Vukovic accident some a decade earlier that tragedy should strike again. Donald Davidson on that narrative. Some people have suggested that he had an obituary written for every driver and would bring out the one that was appropriate. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, But had he given it some thought? Absolutely. Preparedness. Sid was all about preparation. And he had to have thought when he was, you know, on a driving somewhere, if it happened, what would I say? And uh, he was also uh, great. He read a lot and he was great with quotes. And uh, so when he did like the final thought and everything like that, he he would give a lot of thought to what the final thoughts would be. And so I think that that um, whether or not he had some notes or whether he did it off the top of his head, I don't know, because I wasn't up there yet. I went up later. But um, he, he may have just had a you know a few notes written down, but um, he must have gone over in his mind because he was a professional. You have to be prepared. What if it happened? What would I say? And uh, so it, it was such. It was so very eloquent. Mike, the reality is this: Sid Collins was a professional broadcaster, and not just in moments of tragedy, as we saw, did his preparation come through. But at the same time, those that thought that he was simply broadcasting to broadcast and wasn't necessarily a fan of the race, we have some more lighthearted audio that says to the contrary. Yeah, um, I actually was interested in this next piece because of the fact that I wasn't sure what was Sid a, you know, a race fan. Did he did he ever attend the race prior to to getting with WIBC and getting the job? And the fact that we we are going to learn a little bit about that next when we hear Sid at the 1951 Borg Warner party, and he's talking to Harry Hartz, and Harry Hartz brings along a special guest. Here's a very grand guy, the chief observer for his first year here at the track in that capacity. He has two observers at each of the eight posts around the track who report to him all the developments. Harry Hart scored three seconds and two-fourths in his six attempts here at Indianapolis before a very successful career as a car owner. And I know that the drivers are very happy to have a capable driver himself as their chief observer. They feel much better about it, Harry. Oh, fine, Sid, and uh, thank you very much. That's very nice of you, and I've enjoyed the work very much. We put 17 new drivers through this year, and uh, one more up on his 120-mile arm, and it's been a lot of, a lot of fun, and I enjoy, the, I enjoy working with these youngsters. Uh, I call them youngsters, <laughs> you know, because they're young drivers. I'm just trying to familiarize them with the, uh, the differences of this uh, big speedway because they're going a lot faster than they've ever gone in their life before. And this Borg Warner... And it's part of Borg Warner and Studebaker all together. And Sid, uh, I know uh, you're too young, but here's Billy Arnold that won the race for me in 1930. I think you know Billy Arnold. Well, Sid you know, Collins. Harry, this is uh, the man that I saw win the very first time I saw a race here at Indianapolis. Oh, did you really? Billy Arnold in 1930. He had the pole car that year, didn't you, Billy? Uh, yes, he right. certainly did, uh, Sid. And uh, he come on, He took the lead on the second lap and led for the entire 500 miles, which has never been done before or since. And back in 1930, he won $52,100. That, that purse was not equal until last year when Johnny Parson won $57,700. And that and Billy's win was before the days of income taxes. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, he could keep it then, and he looks very <laughs> prosperous here tonight. Where's the hometown now, Billy Arnold? Well, I spent half my time in Texas, San Antonio, and the other half up in Oklahoma City. How long has it been since you visited us here in Indianapolis for the 500? Well, the last time I was here, Ray, was in 1947. 1947. That's You've been right. away for, for too long a time. The folks have missed you around this part of the country. Incidentally, this is only the third time I've been back since I quit racing in 1932. Do you uh, attempt to cover some of the races down in your part of the country oh, yeah. when you have a chance? Every one of them. You still have that love for racing, yeah, don't that's you? That's right. Thank you, Billy Arnold. Good to have you back in Indianapolis. Sid Collins with the man and Harry Hartz, who made several starts within the front row at the Indianapolis 500. As a matter of fact, 1927, his sixth start, the only where he was outside of row number one, and the 1930 winner, Billy Arnold. But Mike Thompson, not only did Sid have a knowledge of racing, as you could tell right there, he had a pretty flippant sense of humor as well. He did, and he has an interesting interview here from 1952 with a driver named Bayless Leverett, and I think he's kind of saying to Bayless, maybe it's time to hang up the helmet. From Glendale, California, Bayless Leverett has been driving here at the Indianapolis track since 1949. And two weeks ago tomorrow, on May the 10th, Bayless had a mishap on the northwest turn coming into the main stretch and was hospitalized at that time. And of course, we've seen a great deal in the papers about Bayless since that time. He said that he might give up automobile racing. But today he's out here at the track and he has to go back to the hospital in a couple of hours because he spends uh, every evening back there at the hospital. But he wants to watch the boys try for their qualification attempts. So while he's here, let's get him on Speedway Gossip and find out some of his thoughts. First of all, Bayless, a lot of your friends are interested in knowing what your feeling is about going back into racing someday. Are you really going to retire? I, uh, when, when I'm laying in bed in a hospital, why well, it's pretty easy to think about retiring. When I get out here, why well, I'm not so sure, but also when my wife is around, it's easier to think about retiring. But Does she want you to retire? Oh, definitely. She's talked to me about it for years, and we've discussed it pro and con, and, and I figured that I was getting old enough that I should think about retiring, and I thought that this would probably be my last uh, race back here, and it darn near was my last race. But, what is your age now, Bayless? I'm 39. And, uh, I think uh, that's about the age when a race driver should get off the track. Well, I don't know if there is any uh, set age for it. Uh, I think it's all in your own mind. How old were you when you started your automobile career? I was uh, 20 years old when I started. And you've been doing that straight through with no other outside job. That's been your living. That's been my living uh, up until 1948 when I started uh, working in the shop in uh, Glendale, California. Is that what you would do if you got out of racing? Yes, I still have my business out there and uh, expect to go to it as soon as the race is over here. Let's uh, trace your racing career here at the Speedway since the first year. What happened in 49, Bayless? Well, in 49, I owned my own car and uh, qualified it in the sixth fastest time, which I was very happy about at that time. We ran 160-some-odd miles and broke a dry shed, which put us out. And then 1950? Uh, 1950, I drove for uh, Dick Palmer here in Indianapolis, and we had the uh, 14th uh, fastest time and uh, sprung an oil leak in the early part of the race, and we spent about uh, 12 laps in the pits, which didn't do us any good at all. How about last year? Last year, we did absolutely nothing. The car got here the last day of, of uh, qualifying, and I had uh, no practice in the car. The car was never tuned up at all, and we tried to qualify it, which we did at a speed of 128-plus, and uh, we were bumped from the race. Bayless, how long do you think it'll be before you get those light bandages off your hands and feet? Well, the doctor told me 60 to 90 days that they would be in good shape. And then it'll be sometime after that, I suppose, in exercising. I suppose you... it will take a little time to free them up and, and get them, uh, you know, used to working again. What has been your impression of the speed to tame this year? Are you surprised? Well, it scares me. <laughs> Makes you want to retire a little bit more then. Helps you. <laughs> agree with the wife some more, huh? Do you think that Jeff Miller will come out here tomorrow and clip that 140 that everybody's watching for? I think it's very, very probable that he will. I'd like to see him do it. 
Back in 1951, Bayless Leverett, his wife would be happy to know that he would go on to live until 2002 when Bayless Leverett died on March 13th of 2002 at the age of 88. A good full life for Bayless Leverett. We're talking about Sid Collins when we come back to close it out. The words from a couple of men who followed in his footsteps next on Beyond the Bricks. Jake Quarry, Mike Thompson, back here on Beyond the Bricks, talking about Sid Collins, who we lost 45 years ago today, just prior to the 1977 Indianapolis 500. That meant that the new voice of the 500 became Paul Page, who followed in his footsteps, handpicked by Sid Collins. Paul's memories of the man who preceded him as the voice of the Indianapolis 500. Sid was an incredible man. He was an absolute perfectionist, uh, which is why he was so successful. There was no detail left undone in Sid's life. Sid was never married. He was married to the Speedway, married to broadcasting, and he dedicated himself totally to that. And I think that uh, that that dedication, almost more than anything else, shines through when I think of Sid. The current voice of the Indianapolis 500 for the IMS Radio Network is Mark Janes. Uh, I've always had respect for the history and tradition, and because of that, I, I think of Sid often. And um, I, I thought, boy, where would any of us be right now with, with, without him? Um, uh, and, and, you know, the dream that he allowed to develop in me at a very young age uh, that I was able to achieve. Um, I'll be eternally grateful to Sid Collins. It's a huge disappointment to me that I, I never got to meet him and I never got to meet Lou Palmer. Uh, but I, I did meet the late Ron Carroll and, and the late Doug Zink. Um, Gary Lee took me from a broadcaster to a motorsports broadcaster. Uh, Darrell Weibel, and, and the list goes on and on. Chuck Marlowe. Howdy Bell, all of those guys who worked with Sid and the guys we have now like Paul and Bake and, and, and people like that. So I, I have a pretty good sense in Donald, of course, as to what it was like to work uh, for Sid um, and, uh, and, 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 and what he meant to each and every one of them because, uh, you know, Bake loves to tell the story about him and Paul joining the network the same year and after Sid had invited them both, they were high-fiving each other in the parking lot of the radio station, uh, this station, in fact, and uh, WIBC. And, and, and you know, um, I, I, I think if, if you have any, appreci- any appreciation at all, regardless of what your role is, be it a, an engineer or a producer or a pit reporter or, or an anchor or a co-anchor or whatever, uh, I, I, I think if your thoughts don't tend to, to, don't tend to turn to Sid Collins a, a few times throughout the course of the year, um, then, then I don't know that this is a, a, a place that you ever you get to to begin with. Godspeed to Sid Collins. Mike, a lot of fun. We'll do it tomorrow night, same time. Sound good? Sounds good to me. This has been Beyond the Bricks.